You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. On today's episode of the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast, we have author Megan Abbott. Her latest novel, The Turnout, was one of my top picks of 2021. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. This is a real treat. I'm a huge fan. Or um, I'm about to be because this is the first book of yours that I've read. And um, recommendation from Jonathan Ames, actually. And uh, I was like, then I was kind of ashamed that I hadn't heard of you. And I saw all the books that you have out. And um, he like he said something once about when you discover a new writer, it's like tapping into a new vein. Um, so I'm really excited to to go back and read your read your so work. Happy. I'm such a fan of his. So uh, oh, he's the best. I, yeah, uh, I love his new series. I can't wait to, to read them all. Oh yeah, the the doll, the doll. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, it's awesome. Um, well, yeah. So I let's. I just read the turnout, um, and uh, I guess I would just ask, like, I'm assuming that you have like a strong either a strong background in ballet or you did a ton of research or a bit of both uh, so i'm just curious about the the genesis of the book yeah i i you know i really now have no ballet experience i've been like two years at age eight and nine uh stumbling through uh intro to ballet so uh, it was uh all the research um but that is kind of my favorite part of the book honestly um i really do love to dive into a world i don't know, but I'm sort of fascinated by, and I've always been fascinated by ballet and this sort of insular environment of it in the world and the, um, the, the things they put their body through and the, you know, sort of the mystique about it, I suppose. So I just read everything I could find and watched endless, YouTube was my friend. I mean, I just watched endless because you could see rehearsals on there of wow. big, all ballet companies and dance schools and it gives you this sort of it's the voyeur it's the voyeuristic fantasy is that you don't actually have to go and you can actually just go online and uh, <laughs> um so but yeah i did a, a lot of research and then when i was finished the book i try to do that before i start for the most part and then when i finished it i had a ballet dancer read it with rigor with great rigor which she did so taking sure i got it right or as right as you're gonna get you're never gonna yeah. get it all right um well yeah so i think i'm just kind of flipping through my copy right now i made some i made some notes and um i don't know if i've read a more like he just got under my skin so much the Derek character um like he just you know, he was such an incredible antagonist and he just, he just annoyed me, but like intrigued me so much. Um, I, I am just, you know, I definitely, I'm going to put links to, you know, whatever bookstore you'd like to, you know, promote um, for people to definitely get this book. I don't want to spoil too much, but Derek, I w- I'm very interested in him and, and the character development for him because he felt, I mean, all the characters really, but he was like such a I pictured him so well in my mind and he he too I was just telling someone that he's one of the few characters that came to me fully formed (laughs) (laughs) I I just it's not I don't really have that many characters of that type in my 
other books. He just came to me and I, and I just knew him that he would be, and I started to, as always with my antagonists, uh, I just started to love him. writing them because they're generally your antagonist or your sort of the one that the provocateur of the book is the one that's sort of doing all the things that you that we don't do and um is just all in and libido and so they're always so fun to write uh and and i also you know just sort of the antithesis of this world that he enters so that that would be he would be this explosive presence it's sort of once you introduce him into this rarefied world of ballet uh you know and and he and he thinks he can control this these sisters and and their husband and uh but he doesn't really know what he's getting into either so it, it felt like a yeah he was um he was central to the book from the start um and um and remains <laughs> remained a, a presence in my head long after <laughs> uh, yeah it's like i think a lot of us can um if we're for a homeowner relate to like the, the contractor that just is like, Oh, like won't go away. And so he was kind of giving me like, it was just a very realistic nightmare when he came on the scene early on. Um, and yeah, it was just, I mean, he he was funny, but despicable in some ways and a lot lot of ways. And, uh, he just had this power over, uh, certain kinds of women, which, which was very interesting. I was interested in that element too, the appeal of that that kind of man to, to many women and and what what it's about and and definitely the contractor because you were so vulnerable with con- like like a plumber or a mechanic. <laughs> don't really know what they're doing and so we have to sort of put our faith in them but they're also in our most intimate spaces and uh, and so I felt like that would tap a I mean, I'm saying this now, I don't really, I'm, it's mostly instinctual when I'm writing, but I think it's sort of, if to, you're trying to give readers different entry points and something I care about ballet or, or even be interested in that world, but might understand the vulnerability of having someone come in your home and start to tear it apart and you have to kind of trust them um, so that there would be different, different entry points for, for different readers in that way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, those are two, like almost, if you could, come up with two polar opposite worlds, a contractor's world, and then a ballet school. I mean, um, and then them kind of getting forced together. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, one thing like with your writing, when I was, I was just going through, uh, certain chapters and I think what I have to say, like what I love so much about your writing is just the strong visual that comes to my mind when I write it. And I feel like, um, I don't know if I've ever read um, a modern writer quite like this, where it's such a strong visual that I felt like in a good way that I've been reading and reading and reading. And then there's only like, maybe I read three quarters of a page, but it creates such a strong image and a memory for me when I'm thinking about the book later. I'm just, I mean, I'm just so intrigued on that writing aspect. I mean, clearly you revise and revise and revise. I, I am kind of curious about your initial process, um, you know, you are very prolific. You have 10 or so books. Um, so you've got to be writing pretty fast, I would imagine. So I'm just really curious about your process, if you don't mind sharing um, the first draft and then kind of what is to come. And I know every book is probably different, but uh, yeah, with this one. 
but many things are the same. I mean, I really, atmosphere as a reader is really important to me. Even as a kid, that was what I loved is I wanted to enter. And I grew up loving movies. I, as, a, as a kid, I also just watched endless movies. I have a big movie lover's family. So, so part of it for me was always visual uh, because I was sort of fell in love with movies and books at the same time. And they kind of collapsed in my brain. Um, but I always loved those books where you feel like you've entered the space where you can like hear the sounds and smell the smells and all of that. It's a full sensory experience as much as possible. And and that sort of, again, like a, an invitation in um, to the reader, as, as I love to be invited in, because you, you can't have any distance from it. The goal is to sort of trap you there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and sort of um, they have to drink the Kool-Aid, I guess. <laughs> so it really with like, you know, I've had books set in the world of gymnastics or science lab or and so much for that me is in the research is getting getting those sort of sensory experience of what it's like to stand at a lab desk so you know or in the case of ballet um the sounds of the point shoes on the wood floor and and that and, the, and you know the sort of details of preparing your point shoe and the sort of in this case this i could draw from from my own experience living in decaying places <laughs> in the way that houses and uh and buildings can be this sort of human places where everything is sort of falling apart so all of that is just sort of it's for me to write it I need that to write it and then for me to sort of hopefully bring the reader into it so it's part it's both part the spell I'm trying to cast but I'm also trying to cast it for myself so I think it's sort of a, a, um, a requirement for me to write too I have to I have to get in there in my head yeah and it probably it translates because you, you've done um some some film and tv work um so that probably there's the visual component of it really translates well um, I just started, I haven't gotten very far. I just got through the first episode of Dare Me, but, I, but I'm loving it so far. So I can't wait to keep watching that. Um, maybe. And, and then you also wrote on um, The Deuce. Yes. Yeah, that's, I love that show. So I didn't realize that. So it was really cool discovering you, I mean, you know, from my perspective and then like all these little things like, oh, I love that. I love that. You know, and then, I'm, oh, I, I have to check that out. And just like your, your older uh, noir books and, and, you know, the fact that, Ames mentioned you and he, he had, a, he, I was talking to him on an episode of this and he, he had a run <laughs> to his bedroom to get the book to show me. <laughs> so it was just so, it was so great. And, um, he was so excited to, uh, show the, <laughs> it was the one before the, for the turnout. So, um, it's, no, it's, um, I think a lot of writers and they don't have to be writing thrillers even necessarily, but that drawing on film and particularly film noir, which is, I suppose the, you know, really was where I where I started and sort of a love of those stories because they're sort of so elemental. They're really about these basic drives and 
um, I guess that can feel small, but to me that feels big. It's revenge and lust and obsession and jealousy and greed and, and these sort of elementals. So I, I feel like you can just move them. You can move them to different places, different circumstances, and you can sort of create that in, environment all over again. It's just like with Jonathan Ames, you know, you know, these, this sort of Raymond Chandler pedigree, you know, he's sort of riffing on that tradition, but it's, it's, it's LA now. And, and there's, you know, and it's sort of with this sort of gentrification of LA and the neighborhoods have all changed and the economics of it have changed and all these things have changed, but that story, those stories still work uh, because they're sort of, they're sort of eternal, I guess. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's so true. Uh, I know I'm jumping around a bit, but I just, I mean, I'm just really curious about a lot of your, your career and your background. Um, I had read that you, you initially went uh, to school to, you know, possibly become a professor of, of literature. Um, I'm just curious, like that element of it and then how it slipped into publishing so many so many books um <laughs> which is awesome you know it's like great for us for readers weirdly among crime writers i'm considered slow because <laughs> <laughs> i don't well, know how they do it <laughs> i don't know either i'm always impressed but but yeah i did fall backwards into it i did think i was going to be a professor mostly just because i i went to get my master's at I wanted to move to New York, so I applied to NYU to get my master's in literature, and then I really liked it. I loved reading books all the time, just talking to people about them, so I stayed and got my PhD, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll be a professor, um, and, uh, um, but my dissertation was on um, hard-boiled fiction and film noir from the mid-century, and I had only read a little of those originary novels at the time and I just sort of fell in love with them writing the dissertation and that was really how I started my first novel I was just sort of writing on the side for fun and I really wanted to write my way into a Raymond Chandler novel it's like really all I wanted still all I want is <laughs> stroll in there and have it have a gimlet with Philip Marlowe at the <laughs> um so but that became my first novel. And had I not, I just got very lucky with a junior agent who, who signed me and then was able to sell it. That if that hadn't happened, I don't, I probably would still be a, a professor with a 4-4 load and teaching <laughs> um, But, um, which would, would have been great, but um, I did sell that first book. And then I just really found I had an insatiable, uh, desire to keep writing so it just kind of flowed flowed from there um and i just haven't stopped uh, since then so it was accidental i mean prop i mean part of you know he has just no i didn't know anyone who was a novelist as a kid in you know detroit there were no, there were, so i did wouldn't have known how to be a novelist but my dad was a professor so i knew how to do that so. <laughs> um very cool. So I, I am just, I mean, maybe this is kind of an annoying question, but I ask it to most writers just about your, like your day-to-day -day process as far as like, um, um, you know, writing, you know, there's always that like kind of, I think it's mostly among uh, like us, like me, I'm talking about yeah. myself and other like writers who have yet to publish a novel where it's like, oh, do you plot? Do you pants? Do you do that? Um, and then when I talk to you know, established writers who have books that I really love. Um, it's usually, 
not really necessarily either of those. They kind of like have their own thing. So I'm just curious about your your process like when you sit down to start working on a project. Um, how do you how do you do it? <laughs> it is a hybrid, really, and I do think that's true for most writers. I I have I generally have to figure out sort of the. First, I have to have the voice. If I don't have the voice, I can't even get started. But I, I sort of have the loose three acts of it, you know, which is more having watched so many movies as a kid. You sort of instinctually, you don't know that you're absorbing the three act structure, but, but you are. And so I try to figure out what the three acts are. And then once I'm in it, um, I did not do that for my first book, by the way, I or even probably my second. I didn't know. I just definitely was just writing <laughs> I didn't know how to shape it um but but in the in the phase probably from my third or fourth novel this is the approach I had that I would sort of know the three acts and then at a certain point you, you I do this more now having written for tv I start to like imagine what the beats as they would say in tv are coming for you know, what do I need to have happen so it's sort of a little mini mini version of that like just to make sure you're staying on the road <laughs> you know where the center line is and um because of the I think most writers I know, uh, but I'm certainly one. The middle is the hard part of the book. It's really easy to get lost and also despairing <laughs> and, uh, um, and to not even be sure, is this the middle? Um, so having some, some structure helps me with that. Um, but honestly, when you're dealing with a crime, it kind of gives you your structure, depending on whether you're putting the crime at the beginning or the middle of the end. But beyond that, like, once once a crime happens, all these other things happen. And, and uh, um, so you're either creating the situation to lead to the crime and then the aftermath or you're starting with the crime and then it's sort of the, I don't do, really do these very often, the procedural elements after. Um, I tend to write about criminals and those who know them rather than uh, um, the justice system. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> But either way, it's still like, it gives you your engine. It's just a matter of how character-wise you're gonna drive the story. Gotcha. Um, interesting. I am, I am curious about like the, the whole pandemic and how, how it's, you know, impacted you. I know you're in New York. Um, so I've, I've talked to several writers where when this all kind of kicked off, um, in March of 2020, they, it was like, well, my life <laughs> didn't really change a whole lot. Cause I kind of just sit in my room and write. Um, so some people kind of have like an explosion of energy and uh, like creative, they're just like knocking stuff out. And then other people kind of hit a wall where they were just almost frozen for a bit. Um, yeah. So I'm just kind of curious, especially in the early months of all this, what was your experience with what was going on? Yeah. In the, in the first month or so I was finishing the turnout and that really saved me because I, I had something to throw myself and I had to finish it. It was late. It was overdue. And, uh, um, but then after that, I, I was feeling like, how do I start something new? And when, when the world is falling apart, 
Um, and uh, this is all meaningless. So I, I took, it's one of the advantages of when you're sort of in two worlds at once. I took all this TV work because you have real deadlines there and you have collaborators and you have people waiting for you. And it's also just much faster. It's it's hard in many ways because of all those reasons <laughs> exactly, but, uh, but it sort of kept me on, on point and also not having to several of them were not material original to me so it was also taking on another voice which felt like relief so he's not um spinning my own wheels and but there was an advantage creatively where i had a lot more time all of a sudden to watch movies and read books um so I have to say that was the only silver lining of an awful time was I really just dove into Criterion uh, and uh, same, same here. Yeah. I don't know what I done without it. It was really like a lifesaver and remains so. And I, and it's sort of finding in sort of revisiting things I hadn't seen in 20 years too, not just lots of new stuff, but this revelatory viewing of Wizard of Oz, which is a huge movie and book series for me as a kid, but I hadn't seen it in 15 years or more and it was it's it, people forget how strange mm. what we would now call lynchian because of course oh, they for sure. so much from it, but it's so it was great to it was great for that that sort of the noise of life was sort of quieted because of the hard hard times um but i was able to get in some creative grooves for different for these little stretches because mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean, like uh, just watching. Yeah, I watched a lot of stuff myself and um, I watched a lot of like good stuff. And then I watched a lot of like just just I was open to watching some maybe not so good stuff. But then I was like, well, it's entertaining me. So maybe maybe it is good in its own way. So I watched yeah. a lot of garbage, but I loved it. Um, and, and yeah, same thing with reading. So there was like, you know, thank goodness for people like people who have interests of, of art. I think if you didn't, if you didn't read or, or watch like good film, it would have been really tough. Um, and it still was tough, you know? Yeah. yeah, But no, it would, I mean, just, it gives you some measure of escape and reminds you of beauty in the world at times when it could be hard to remember that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Let's talk about film for a little bit. So we talked um, right before we went on about, um, Louise Brooks and how we're both fans of hers. So, um, yeah, I just want to hear about the 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 home if you don't mind telling me. Uh, that sounds fascinating. Um, what were like what were you doing there just for her specifically, or what was uh what was the deal there? Well, I mean, I yeah, I've I can't remember a time when I wasn't watching movies constantly. Was that way for you? Were you yeah. Uh, yeah, I think when I when I hit around, I remember. So I, I just turned forty, and I think when I was about, um, I I grew up on like like old comedy. My dad was into like Chaplin and um, Keaton and the Three Stooges, so I kind of latched on to that as like as a child. And then when I was about fifteen, I got uh, like a blockbuster card that where you could it was like almost like a Netflix thing where you could you could you could buy it for a month, but then you could check out at our local store. You do one video a time. So I would watch what like, you know, junior high, late junior high and high school. I'd watch that movie that night, bring it back the next day, get another film. So I went through a ton of stuff like that. This is like in the mid to late nineties. Um, but yeah, I just like was, it was so incredible to see all these, 
old films and I'd read books like autobiographies of, of people and then like I'd make my lists and go through all this stuff. So it was always, yeah, it's always been kind of a constant. And then, um, yeah, even today, you know, I, I still am like try to cover a lot of film festivals and just like watch a lot of international stuff and kind of open up that door. Uh, and it's just like, it's never ending, which is awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah, sort of streaming gives that takes away. I mean, it's very frustrating sometimes how you can't find the things you want and there's no, I try to invest in um, Blu-rays uh, when I can, but but there's so much more that you can see than having to rely on your your video store um, in the day. So I, you know, I mean, as a kid, it's much like you. It was the early comedies, but it was also gangster movie, 30s gangster movies and screwball comedies and romantic comedies. And then you sort of layer it on, you figure stuff out, right? And I, I was always, I mean, I have this, I'm still, I think we've read, over 200 books, but I'm in this two-person book club with my friend Jack Pendarvis, the writer, and he, we only read mostly Hollywood books, so we read, um, and it, like, all kinds, like, the sort of, um, supermarket ones, um, but, uh, and also the sort of, you know, um, you know, sort of prestigious biographies. And, um, um, and so like Hollywood history is part of it for me too. And um, and I guess it's sort of, it's a, as a kid, it's kind of a fantasy, but it's also just story. I mean, you, you know, we're, we're so drawn to that. And I think um, that, that never goes away, I think, once you have that in you. Yeah, definitely. H have you read, um, it's, I think it came out, it's, it's been out a bit, but the, the book on, um, Chinatown yes I did read that yeah so I heard I heard that is um, I don't know what they're going to do with it but it's been optioned for something um, which I'm really excited to see what they do with that that would be incredible I know I I, I would be very curious I, I had lots of problems with that book even as I enjoyed it as I have um, <laughs> uh, you know when you read a lot of these you start to develop positions about oh for sure yeah um, I, I do feel like Robert Town got short shrift in that. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm always defending the, the writer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, it's definitely very, it's a specific take on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but that's what I love. I mean, I love, yeah. like, I love sort of, you know, I love sort of, having I mean, that's one of the reasons that we have this book club is so we can argue over this stuff no, that's great that's great that stuff that are, like happened 40 or 50 years ago <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter at all yet somehow seems <laughs> oh that's incredible i'm i'm um, covering i haven't watched it yet i'm gonna watch it uh tomorrow night but it's at the um dances with films festival in la which is going on right now but it's uh it's about the hollywood land sign and so it covers the whole the entire history and I, i've been it's been getting some good reviews already. So I'm talking to, to that filmmaker on Monday, um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watching that tomorrow. It sounds. I even heard about that one. I yeah. That yeah. It sounds incredible. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I, I love that stuff. I'm just trying to look back at my bookshelf. Um, I, I bet we have a lot of the same. Books. Probably do. <laughs> I remember when I was a, in high school, I had, um, I read a lot of George Burns <laughs> books. So I had this like thick, like this weird kid. 16 year old like reading a George like who's George Burns like no one knew who he was um yeah, it's so you're, you you don't realize I remember when I had like a 
in fifth or sixth grade or something, I had a slumber party and I wanted to watch a Marilyn Monroe movie. And the 10 year old girl who came over was like, who's Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause you're also not making those distinctions. It's what's so great when you're a kid. It does like, it doesn't matter that it was long ago. It's yeah feels now to you um and that's and it's so great to hold on to that kind of wonder when uh to get excited about movies i mean being the being in theaters here again has been an ecstatic experience i have to say oh that's good yeah our um i don't believe our like our local like art house theaters open back up yet i'm really hoping that doesn't go under i don't think it will i think we have there's a lot of good support here um, for it but yeah any any good films so i've been yeah i haven't been in a theater and i don't even know how long so uh have you seen anything good in the theater and like how, what was your experience going back into a theater it's been a while i mean the first one i saw was minari so this was back in march when we reopened and mm. like socially distanced and masks and everything um which i loved but like this past week i saw the green knight which i, I that was spectacular i mean that was one i've been I'm seeing a lot of old movies because the our revival houses are mostly open um but so I've seen a lot of old movies, but the green Knight, I really knew I want to see that on the big screen if I could. And I, I, I know people are very divided about it, but I thought it was spectacular. I need to see. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. And pig pig was great too. Did you see pig? No, I keep hearing, I keep hearing. I have to see that. Like it, it keeps popping up more and more. It's like bubbling up into my consciousness. So I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to see this one. Not what you think it's going to be. I mean, probably people have said that to you too. And now mm-hmm. they like I don't need probably don't even know what you thought it would be but it's not it's very meditative <laughs> it's mm. just like uh um it's a character study more than anything and a great little and 90 minutes which also to me is a good movie <laughs> 90 minutes, like the old ones yeah I feel I feel like sometimes I, I I don't know if my attention span is going shot but I see like a two and a half hour superhero movie I can't I, I can't do it I can't do it <laughs> Often, I mean, I think now that sort of to make you come to the theater, they feel like they need to make it extra in some way. But it's just watching so many 1930s movies during the pandemic and all the criterions they had having on Criterion and seeing what they would in in like 72 minutes, how much story they would in those 1930s movies and um and it, it's just like an ach- such an achievement i mean it's hard with books too i always like to write a tight short book and i have written some of those but they're they're so much harder to do uh, <laughs> yeah i mean like with uh you know bringing up i know it sounds like we're both really big fans but jonathan ames like the the latest book he put out it's just it is so tight and just it's incredible, you know. I, I like. I really hope this series does. Like, I, apparently, he's working on the next one. So, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this. Such economy because you know that character within three pages. Yeah, like that's the that's an amazing achievement because what takes time often is you're trying to build these characters and, um, you know, f- you know, sort of trying to give all these dimensions. But if the voice is right, if the if the I, I mean, yeah, you just know that character right away, which was always true of the great noir novels too. Mm-hmm. They are sort of um, models of efficiency in in that way too. They they like a trust in the reader, which I think is so impressive. Um, he just posted this on Twitter today because I was reading. I've been reading a lot of 
um, Tennessee Williams lately mm-hmm. and a lot of his letters. And he, he talks about, he's always fighting the battle as a playwright to not over explain to, you know, in the play, he's always fighting the directors and producers. And he, he was talking about how like 40% of it must be left to the audience. And he, he says, it is all caps. Mystery must be kept. <laughs> understood is like that's how the audience comes into the story so if you tell them everything there's no place for them in the story and that that that's really that kind of just shook me to my core when I read it feels so true it's sort of why we start reading those of us who love books it's we want to be invited in yeah oh definitely I'm reading I've been picking around because I never really had read um Nathaniel West much and so I've been picking my way through this, this collection of, um, I think it's most of his stuff. So this has been like, I've always heard the name and, you know, uh, Day, uh, Day of the Locusts and, and all yeah. that. So, I mean, I'm, oh my gosh. it's and, incredible. Movie version of Day of the Locusts? Have you seen it? The original one? No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> you traumatized me as a kid. That's what I've, I've heard that from other people. <laughs> Um, I love the book and I do love the movie, but uh, <laughs> you know, this is back in the day when they used to just run movies on, on the weekends, your local UH, you know, back in the old antenna days. And uh, um, for some reason on a Saturday afternoon, they just decided to, uh, which is the darkest Hollywood novel ever. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even want to begin to list the things that occur in that book and movie but i love him I, he's fascinating because he, he died very young but he sort of a misanthropic person but he's one who one of the writers who came to hollywood and loved it it was very yeah. successful <laughs> the other ones yeah the other one's like uh <laughs> there's a lot of like um, yeah just try, here to make some money you know yeah. um but no it's like he it's so funny because like the picture of him i don't know if you can see that but just like yeah. So he's he's five years younger than than I am when he died, you know, and I'm, I, I it's just so funny how, you know, age, especially like back in those in the 30s and 40s, like they were just they were grown ups. <laughs> I don't feel like a grown up yet. No, I, I think about that a lot whenever I hear how how old writers were, actors were, or directors were, especially, you know, because that is sort of one where you can come in surprisingly young because of the way Hollywood works. And But, you know, it is always sort of amazing to have that kind of confidence and, uh, um, yeah, different, different times. But that, I guess that's what makes it part of the dream factory lore of it is that, too. Yeah. Um, that, that these were you know, hucksters and salesmen and, and rag pickers and, stuff, and hobos that ended up in Hollywood and then ended up like changing American history. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, maybe we could, I know we're, I mean, I'm enjoying this conversation. We can, um, as we wrap up, uh, talk about Mank. Did you see Mank? I mean, that's kind of popped into my mind. Um, because people were talking about that Gary Oldman was too old to play him. Right. Which, but but actually he he um um if you had someone playing him the age he really was it would have been so hard for us to just like when they have someone be a fictional Orson Welles and it's like a 25 year old yeah. <laughs> that they're doing this um but but yeah I I thought about that I had so many conversations about Mank when it came out from among all well, was he he was about was he like 40 to 50 in in, in real life um 
Yeah, I think four, four years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like, like our <laughs> age, you know, and, and it, it, they portray him like an old man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, I guess that's always the way Hollywood is so too. It's sort of, um, it's the, the actor that they want. Um, but it was a fascinating study for me. I mean, there are many, I mean, they're like, aside from the problematics of that people had with story it was telling, it was, um, it was so interesting to see the attempt to recapture the way, the way that the movies looked back then mm-hmm. and the sort of disorientation I felt where it's, it was like the uncanny ballet of like, cause it sort of did and sort of didn't. Um, in some ways it was so perfect that it could never look like, cause we just don't access old movies that even if they're beautiful 4k restorations, they were never, cause they were meant, they were meant to be disposed of yeah. They weren't considered um, these eternal, eternal things. So it was, it was interesting to see all the excitement discourse around that for like four days. <laughs> yeah, it was gone. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, well, yeah. Anything else you want to? As going back to to your book, anything else you want to, um, you know, mention any bookstores that you would prefer people to purchase from? I know there's there's so many great ones, but just is there yeah. any? few special to you <laughs> i mean so many but i would really just say wh- whoever your independent bookstore is nearest you or any of them for that matter they so need our support always and they're doing the good work i they're really um i mean it's sort of invaluable um as someone who grew up going to i mean where i grew up uh, how it was for you but at that time there was like walden books and yeah, yeah i remember walden um, <laughs> used bookstores that were were gems and then and then later the sort of these great indies but the bookstores have always been so fundamental to you know having these books that would matter so much to me placed in my hands and you know I think you know we all have gotten so uh used to the ease of Amazon but you're, you're sort of feeding the monster um when you buy a book from them and pay the if you could if you can afford it pay the extra few yeah. bucks to get it from your the um which is they're they're the best they're doing they're doing the lord's work oh for sure yeah i was in um one of our local we have we have like two or three really good ones here that have and they've maintained during the the pandemic but i was really excited to see the turnout like facing out it was a signed cop couple signed copies they had so that was like that made me really happy that they had yours well stocked so um king's english bookstore it's all like it's a yeah always wanted to go there i've never on tour been been to salt lake but that i always know about that store and have always heard such great things so that makes me so happy yeah it's a, it's a beautiful little it's like it's like an it's an old um it's in an old neighborhood and it, it kind of is like an old house so you walk up the stairs it's yeah it's great and they have like a little uh really cute children's section and you know that's where they yeah, I've been to a couple of book events there. So it's it's really fun seeing like Dennis Lehane speaking in the children's section at a bookstore. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, I have to get there next next time whenever we're on the road again. Uh... Yes, that would be that would be incredible. So I think like um when I looked, I think the first when I first reached out, I reached out direct and then I looked at your website. I'm like, oh no, she has like so many more events than I realized, you know. So I love that you are um it sounds like you love like going to the bookstores and like interacting. So you did so many incredible virtual events, which was um, great. 
was so glad to do them, but each time I was wishing that I was in that store itself and I could sort of poke around and, and get the recommendations. And then, you know, often you, you go out to dinner with the bookseller and maybe a couple of people that came to the event afterward and, and you get to go to some local place that's great and drink the local beer and yeah. all that so much. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that coming back. Um, Knockwood uh, next time. Yeah, hopefully the next book. That's that's going to be the reality. Yeah, that would be that would be great. <laughs> well, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been this has been a real treat, and I'm I'm really excited to go back and, and dig into all your 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 books and your your TV work. Um, I know I'm going to love it. So this is the vein uh, the vein I'm tapping into <laughs> for the next while. We will have to start swapping movie movie and movie book recommendations now that I know it. Uh, yes, that would be incredible. Yeah, I'd love that. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So um, yeah, until next time, thank you so much. Okay, take care. Great. Thanks again. And well, I'll, uh, I'll see you on social in between. Yes, I'll be on social. So yeah, awesome. Okay, <laughs> see you later. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.